Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Hey there. You're listening to an extended interview with Fanny Rushing. And this is part four of five, so if this is new to you, you're going to want to go back and find parts one, two, and three because they're excellent. And once you finish part four, definitely check out the last piece where Fanny helps us connect the dots from civil rights to ecofeminism. This is a question that uh, I've been thinking a lot about in the past year, sort of reflecting on the Black Lives Matter movement, my role in that, you know, we're, we're connected through um, a woman named Miriam Cabo who very much has organized me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, okay, I, I, won't, I won't preface this too much. I'll just, I'll just ask, what is... I'm interested what, in your preface. Well, I'll, I'll ask the question and then okay. maybe I can explain more, but what is organizing um, and what is an organizer? Um, it sh- we use those words all the time. I, mm-hmm. I see them constantly. People are, so many people I know identify as organizers. Organizing is being talked about a lot. And, and I think people understand that there's something, you know, there's different means of change or, or, or ways that we can negotiate or facilitate change. And there's different strategies and tactics. Um, but I, I don't think that we have clarity on what organizing is and how, how do we build movements that find the Fanny Lou's because we know they're here right we there's Fanny you know um and how do we build movements that allow them right I mean I love the title of this book this mm-hmm. light of mine and it reminds me of Ella Baker you know like mm-hmm. give light and the people will find a way mm-hmm. um and uh yeah so uh, and, and there's more to it and, and I think it's different than being a leader mm-hmm. I think sometimes they overlap um but you know I, I um I know even like the organization that I'm a part of um, we struggle to understand, like, how do you organize a neighborhood um, with your own your own politics, right? That maybe aren't where the the people are at. It's not saying you know you might have your own vision and your own ideas and, and goals, right? Um, I certainly have goals for the neighborhood that I live in that I'm trying to organize. But organizing is it doesn't mean you're coming and saying let's do right. We're gonna do this, and then when we finish it, we're done. Um, so that's my long preface. But the the hard is what is organizing. Well, right now we're having a, a big discussion about the distinction between organizing and mobilizing. Mm-hmm. I was giving a talk a couple of weeks ago and talking about the difficulty that you encountered in organizing. And a woman was there and she said, well, now today you wouldn't have that problem because today... Uh, any kid in here can go on the computer and, you know, they can get five or six hundred people 
to a rally. Well, it's true, they can probably get more than that. And both Occupy and Black Lives Matter had demonstrated over and over again, you can get five or 10,000 people to a spot. That's mobilizing. It's not organizing. Because you can't organize by pushing a button. Organizing is day-to-day, painstaking work of building personal relationships that you can't build through a computer. Because the computer cannot tell somebody, if we get arrested and they say, you can go and you can go, people have to understand that you're somebody that's going to stay with them. And the only way they know that is if you have built a personal relationship with them over time where they can see how you work on a day-to-day basis. It's not mobilizing. Organizing is the painstaking way in which you build personal relationships for the purpose of making social change. Uh, And it may not initially have anything to do with the political goal. It has to do with your establishing a personal relationship with that person that allows them to see what you're made of, to see who you are, you know? Because anybody can come and say, now what we want to do is we're going to help you do this, that, and the other. Well, then, you know, two weeks later, they're on vacation in, in Cancun, right? And, I mean, there may even be a legitimate reason for that. But that does not help the person who is going to pay the cost for whatever it is that you said the the project is. You know, there's no golden rule. Uh, There are very few playbooks on this. Uh, And so, you know, because one thing works in one community, doesn't work in another. And so it is the painstaking building of networks and relationships. Most people don't have the patience to do it. And they don't want to do it because... You know, if you can turn 5,000 people out by pushing a button, why not? Get in the news. (laughs) Okay. Um, But organizing, and it's not just that you're teaching people what to do. They're teaching you because they know some things (laughs) that aren't in the books. (laughs) They know some things about their community that you could not possibly know. Okay, And so until that happens, until you can actually sit down and strategize with people, well, we know if we do this, they're going to do that. And so if we want to avoid them doing that, we've got to figure out a different way to do this. So you find very few people... You know, passing out some flyers on a corner, that's not organizing. Again, that's mobilizing. And a SNCC used to have this debate with SCLC all the time because 
SCLC was into mobilizing. That's what they did. They had these major charismatic figures like uh, King, mm -hmm. C.T. Vivian, uh, Abernathy, Shuttlesworth, uh, all men, you know, all very charismatic, uh, dynamic men. That's what they, that's what they did. SNCC, on the other hand, was into organizing, hence the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, a party organized by local Mississippians in the interest of their needs, which could exist whether or not SNCC people were there or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is it fair to say that the mobilization that SNCC um, was excellent at and, and, and maybe even the only mobilization that they really cared about was that moment of getting people to go register to vote? Is that, could you argue that that's a moment of mobilization? In which case you're talking about two to five people um, and what it took to get those two to five people there. Is that a kind of mobilization? No, I would still say that's organizing. Okay. Because you can't just say to people, one or two, you need to go and register to vote. If they know that. Right. And that's the organizing is getting to that point. But the moment where you're flexing... When I think of mobilization, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in thinking in, in... You mean the actual getting people down to the courthouse? Yeah, like that moment of demonstrating, uh, when I think of what is useful about mobilization, it's, well, we're getting people down to the courthouse did more than just show, oh, mm -hmm. look, we have people that are willing to make mm -hmm. sacrifices. We have people mm -hmm. um, that are not going to take the status quo any longer. I think that, but, uh, and I know it meant more than that, but... You know, I was rereading re um, at the Flight of Freedom a little bit last night, actually, mm -hmm. and I remember there was a quote talking about, you know, uh, it, it's taking it just getting five people to go to that courthouse, and what, mm -hmm. but what that meant, and that took ye that might take years. years. It might take, you know, you can look at the field notes mm -hmm. of the person who organized one of those folks, and it might be as tall as a seven-year-old, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that represents years of, of organizing. Um, and I, I don't know if it's useful to insist that there's some that, that there's that. I think why I want that to happen is because I think about, I know we, I guess I'm stuck on, on, on what, are we, what is useful about mobilization. Okay, well, uh, the March on Washington was a perfect example, not of organizing, but mobilization. Yeah. Okay. Was it an effective mobilization? Yes. It demonstrated that the black community and its allies could come together en masse and do something. And as King said, even that morning, it wasn't clear <laughs> whether or not, you know, it, it, it was going to happen. That is a moment of mobilization, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, no question about it. Yes, it made a point, all right? But if there is nothing to go back to, it's meaningless, right. i.e., the Women's March, Tremendous mobilization. You know, everybody is out there. And it did show, you know, some folks are terribly disappointed with what's going on. But there was no base to it. So where is it today? See, if it had been an example of organizing, yeah, you go to Washington, you, you mobilize for that moment. 
But then you go back home and you begin to build your case. You begin to build, okay, this is what we're going to do. It didn't happen. Right. Okay. Right. Didn't happen. Yes. And so it represents us. Uh, it represents organization um, on a block by block, community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, plantation by plantation level. Maybe where I don't. There aren't like there aren't many neighborhood organizations that I can. I feel that that and that that concerns me. Um, uh, well, you know there are one. Or, there are one or two. Um, uh, well, I mean, I think, for example, about Coco, Kenwood mm -hmm. Oakland yes. Organization, yes. Um, which is really kind of phenomenal. It's it's one of the organizations that I would see as uh, the closest thing to SNCC uh, at the organizing level, because they really do organize from the bottom up, and they are consistent mm -hmm. with mo mobilizing people in... And yes, they do have mobilization sometimes mm -hmm. uh, to go down to, um, you know, to go down to City Hall or go down to Springfield, but they are operating out of a base. And so the mobilization is a moment. It is not an end in itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, for most of these things, the mobilization, the act is an end in itself. And that can't ever be the primary work of an organizer. Right. And, and that's why SNCC and SCLC used to butt heads all the time. Because SCLC wanted to do these big mobilizations, but they, didn't, they couldn't do mm -hmm. the bottom-up organizing because they had no organizing base. Right. Um, so, anyway... Um, there are a few community organizations, and community organizations have to be very careful because they can be very narrow right. and very parochial. Mm -hmm. In other words, yeah, I'm concerned about what's happening in Roseland, but I don't really care what's happening in Park Manor, and no, I'm not gonna, right. I'm not gonna work on that. Let alone talk about issues in the wider world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could go on and on with this little light of mine mm -hmm. uh, because Mrs. Hamer was such an extraordinary uh, woman. And I, I can safely say that in SCLC, Mrs. Hamer would never have been able to make the contribution uh, that she made because uh, the top-down maleist positions would have always marginalized her. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm excited where you're going next. My roots are in environmentalism actually. Uh, uh, so this next book is uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm shocked. I was I, I was genuinely surprised in ways that I, I want to push back against myself with the last two books that you had put on there. I didn't see that coming. I'm, I to have these, yeah, I'll let you speak about well, it. But. Uh, okay, but why didn't you see it coming? <laughs> um, I, when I think about the um, the momentum of folks who are organized through SNCC, I, mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of folks talking about, um, I don't see folks centering our relationship to, well, that's not fair. There's a lot about our relationship to land, um, but I think that that part of SNCC 
um, and that part of the civil rights movement, it isn't what gets lifted up and talked about. Um, and so perhaps I, sh I think that's why I'm like challenging myself. It's like, of course, you know, what, one of the main books is going to be about a woman who like planted trees, but also like organized to free prisoners, right? Um, and had a very transformational relationship to the land and, and black people. Yeah, anyways, I, yeah. But I, I just, I, you know, I thought that we were gonna make, maybe it would end with like the Black Panthers or uh -huh. something, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm excited to sort of center. Well, I could, I could have. Yeah, <laughs> and that would have been totally lovely. I could have uh -huh. done that. Um, I could have done that. Um, what I was looking for in the Wangari Matai uh, was, uh, and it, this is, uh, I have unbowed here, mm -hmm. and I know I said I was going to talk about the Greenbelt Movement, and you can't talk about Wangari Makai without talking about uh, the Greenbelt Movement. Here again, another really extraordinary woman. In her presence, you felt as if you were talking to somebody that you'd always known. You did not have a sense that you just met her. Yeah. You did not have a sense that she in any way felt that she had all the answers. She was still searching for answers. Um, the thing that appealed to me about Mangari Matai is her, the integrated nature of her work. Uh, yes, uh, she was an environmentalist, but she was also, as Vandana Schiller calls herself, an eco-feminist. Because what she did in uh, the Greenbelt Movement was to empower women in such a way that they could understand that if they could reclaim their relationship to the land, if they could reestablish their environments, they could reclaim their bodies. They could resist uh, infibulation. They could resist genital mutilation. This is a very, very powerful, powerful statement because once you enter this realm, you do not have family support. You certainly don't have government support. Uh, Kenya and much of well, much of the world, I don't want to single out Kenya, is a patriarchal society in which the law privileges men to oppress women. And so the fact that these women were able to recreate in the face of the objections of the state and the outside world and, and often their own ethnic group or community, empowered them in such a way that they could say, no, stop, you know, you're not going to do that to my daughter. Um, and the way in which not only did she see how the environment was connected to women's liberation? She saw the way in which democracy was also, uh, and by that, going back to Miss Baker's 
radical democratic democracy, not bourgeois democracy, but radical democracy that allowed every person to be able to actualize his or her own goals and objectives. She saw that as being essential for the success of Kenya as a nation. And so she became involved through uh, the environment of not only women's liberation, but the people's liberation from autocratic rule. And it's the integration of these things. We tend to see the uh, environment over here, the women's movement over here, democracy over there. The dots are not connected. And as I said, the most important thing I learned in state was you've got to connect the dots. <laughs> How do these things relate to one another? Uh, what I was looking for, um, and it is in the front piece of uh, the Greenbelt Movement, uh, what the Nobel Committee said in awarding her uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and that is that she was able to connect the local to the global and the global to the local. And unless you can do that, um, it it serves to keep people divided. Um, I remember uh, trying to um, encourage support in the anti-apartheid uh, struggle within the black community. But the question was always, why should black people in the United States be concerned about what's going on in South Africa? And um, you could say, yes, it's unjust, you know, they are, they are black people like us, and therefore you should be concerned about it. But basically, when somebody is trying to figure out how to make a, a WIC card last for, you know, another week, it's difficult to be concerned about <laughs> what's going on in South Africa. And so it was only when um, we were able to start organizing in the black community that you came to find out, hey, big problem is the steel industry was shutting down uh, at this time. And so it was possible to work with the steel workers to say, they're shutting down the plants here. And what they're doing is they're bringing in South African seal, and they were. And so uh, people, particularly out in Seattle and, and in, in Baltimore, uh, began organizing around do not unload South African steel. Well, the stevedores, the, you know, people who work the docks, and the steel workers, they could come out around that mm -hmm. 
because that was directly connecting the local to the global. So we always, we always have to do that. And Wangari Matai, um, in the Greenbelt Movement, she talks about the way in which um, you have to, once you plant trees, you know, you have to give them time to grow and mature. And yet, if you don't have firewood, and you need firewood to cook your dinner, how do you get people to leave those trees until they mature? This is another kind of, of organizing. Uh, and the way you have to help people to connect the dots. If you tear those trees down, you are always going to be going further and further to collect firewood. So in the Greenbelt Movement, she looks at the practicality. Here is a playbook for how you organize in a community, how long it takes, how you have to uh, remind people when the foresters start saying, oh, these silly women, how are they going to plant trees? They don't know anything about soil. They don't know anything about this, that, and the other. But, you know, she helped them to realize your mother was a farmer. Your grandmother was a farmer. People were raising uh, trees and plants long before the Department of Forestry was uh, even created. Right. Okay? And so it's that practicality. Again, going back to Ms. Baker, you know, nothing is created overnight. You know, it takes years and years and years of... Uh, of doing this, of working with people. There is no shortcut. There is no shortcut. But what you are left with, if you do it well, you have the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in Mississippi that still, even today, is influential in, uh, in uh, the whole political process. Uh, to whom did... Uh, both Chokwe Lumumba, senior and junior, have to turn to when they went into Mississippi, people who had worked with MFDP. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you organize well, you leave something permanent behind. And Wangari uh, Matai, of course, the Greenbelt Movement exists on every continent, including the United States, right? I mean... An extraordinary, extraordinary accomplishment. Um, and so I was going to talk about the Greenbelt Movement, but also uh, the understanding of um, Wangari Matai as a person, this ability of somebody to take that one step uh, that makes... Uh, extraordinary change. And again, when I look at capitalism and slavery and the discourse on colonialism, it's not possible to understand the obstacles of Kenya without understanding colonialism. Right. And of course, when Gary Matai uh, deconstructs the whole colonial apparatus, because she says she can remember when Kenya was green, before the coming of colonial rule, 
and the destruction of of the forest. Um, uh, one of the people who writes the foreword uh, for um, uh, for Unbowed is Ngugi Watango, uh, the Kenyan poet laureate whose Petals of Blood, uh, of course, is one of uh, the major works of African literature. And he says, Wangari Matai's story is more than that of one woman's struggles. It is also the story of Kenya, Africa, and the world. Her life is a triumph of good over evil. And I think in reading Unbowed, you get a real sense of that. So the Greenbelt Movement is the manual. Uh, Unbowed is how you get to... Um, how you get to the manual. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ngugi's Petals of Blood, uh, but one of the things that he talks about, and the reason he calls it uh, the book Petals of Blood, is because in colonial Kenya, just as when Gary Matai talks about children are taken away from their parents and sent to boarding schools, where um, Ngugi is Kikuyu, just as is Wangari Matai. And the primary objective is to have people speak English. Um, and if you make a mistake and speak Kikuyu, they take thorns and stick in the tongue mm -hmm. so that the tongue bleeds and you will remember that um, this is what happens when you revert to being an African. Mm -hmm. And when Gary Matai in Unbowed talks about her experience in uh, colonial boarding school, where if you spoke English, you had to wear a sign for the next week saying, uh, if, if, you, if you spoke in Kikuyu, you had to wear a sign saying, I'm stupid. And so um, this whole, uh, the, the structure of the colonial school system that Césaire outlines very clearly in the discourse uh, where he says the only objective of schools in colonial areas is to train functionaries to serve the colonial system. That's why they are useless because the only purpose in being there is not for liberation. Uh, the purpose in being there is to be a functioner. And you can see this very clearly in the way in which um, the colonial project is to have you de-Africanize and to become something other uh, than, than what you are. to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. 
Special shout out to the Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.